Welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. Today we're very lucky to have Ben Bradford, founder and chief executive of BB7, a fire and facade advisory firm which Ben founded in 2009. Since then, BB7 has grown across England, Scotland and Ireland, creating safe places for people and companies to thrive. BB7 is trusted with projects nationally and internationally, recently including Waterloo Station, Kew Gardens, the Palace of Westminster, HSBC's Scotland HQ, the Fairmont Hotel in St Lucia and Katoka International Airport in Ghana. It's a mark of Ben's approach to people, culture and business that the company is named BB7 because Ben founded the firm on seven guiding principles. Those are number one, people. Number two, be bold. Number three, stay wise. Number four, see differently. Number five, remove borders. Number six, always imagine. Number seven, outstanding employer. I love that I'm reminded of these every time I see or say BB7. So let's meet and hear from Ben and discover what it takes to create a successful scale-up like BB7. Ben, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad you're here. It's really good to be catching up, uh, actually. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Look, I'm you know, really pleased to be here. Thank you for asking me to come on the show. Shall we dive in and hear the BB7 story and, and yours? Yeah, for sure. Great. Well, do you know what? Let's start with the backstory. Uh, it's 13 years ago, but, but what led up to you conceiving, founding BB7 in November 2009, I think it was. Yeah, so I was working for a company called Lock Carey, and they were one of the first fire engineering consultancies founded in 1984 when the Building Act changed. And that was a really interesting time because performance-based design had just sort of been introduced. The guy that founded that business was a guy called Pat Carey, and he, back in 1984, worked on Europe's tallest tower at the time in, in London, which was Canary Wharf. Canadian developers, Olympia and York, he partnered with a Canadian consultancy and they had it, a company called Lock Carey was formed and and I joined them and, and I had a really interesting journey with them uh, until about the, the point in time of the global financial crisis, I kind of 15th of September 2008 when the investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed seems to be etched in my memory as uh it's a point in time, I guess, that sent shockwaves throughout the global financial system. And Lot Carey at the time had offices in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and heavily embedded in the Gulf Coast countries, I guess. And they were working on the Dubai metro system. And Pat was coming to a point in his life when he wanted to exit. And there was all sorts going on with us uh, at the time. We, we were considering acquiring a business or two and some, uh, a larger business was thinking about acquiring us. And because of the global financial crisis, it brought on all sorts of things. And because the acquisitions were going on, it brought, brought on some stress in the relationships, I'd say, if I'm honest. And that business was put into voluntary administration. And... It was a really stressful time, actually. I I just bought a property, actually, to do up that I'd found, which was kind of interesting, and I threw threw a lot of my personal cash into that. And then uh, at 5 a.m. one morning, I was thinking, oh, crikey, looks like, you know, I'm I'm not not in a job 
uh, with Lock Carey anymore because the the direction the business is heading. And I just had to slap myself and think, hang on a minute, Ben, you're an entrepreneur. What's the matter with you? This is your time. This is your sort of opportunity. Like, what were you thinking? And 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 I at five a.m. that morning, it occurred to me. Bloody hell! You've 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 got to set up BB Seven. I think I I I didn't have the name BB Seven at that point in time, but I thought you've got to set up BB Seven. But by nine o'clock that morning, or it might have been eight a.m. Actually, I phoned a dear chum of mine, Steve Michael, who was the first guy to 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 join up up with me, nicest man on the planet, and he said, "Yeah, all right, I do it." And then I was on to onto the accountants, and and I set up the company that day. <laughs> From five AM to lunchtime, and it it was done. Yeah, from five from a five AM thought. <laughs> well, the idea it sounds like it was already there, but uh, the the trigger was that moment of adversity. It was, yeah, and, and a bit of sort of irritation in myself, really, that I was stressed and I was a bit uncertain, and I was a bit annoyed that I didn't think of it maybe two weeks sooner. <laughs> I was in the moment. I was thinking, yeah, I was a bit sort of down down about it and I think hang on a minute you're an entrepreneur what's the matter with you get on and do this great so 13 years later BB7 has grown from from zero up to 10 I think you're about 13 million now you're on the way to to 20 million was there a moment where you know when you knew that BB7 had got it right was getting it right and you know what is that advantage what is it that that sets BB7 apart it's just about timing. Lock Carey was a small business heading towards being a medium-sized business, and it internationalised. We went through the MBO management buyout. We went into the global financial crisis. We wanted to make some acquisitions. Some folks wanted to acquire us, and then going into that voluntary administration thing, as I said. And throughout that journey, I'd been sponsored and supported by Pat, to do an MBA and so I was doing an MBA at the same time coming back to what was the advantage and what what has BB7 got right the lock carry experience was like the perfect warm-up for me you know I did that that journey of that small business doing a lot of different things internationalizing and, and doing the MBA at the same time but I came out of that and I was match fit. I was ready to rock, you know. I'd, that was that was that was the warm up. Okay. Okay. So it's so a good timing. You were ready to execute quickly. Did you feel that BB7 had arrived at the right time for the market? Not to be honest, it was no, it was a recession. It was a slow point in time. Okay. So yeah. no, I didn't I didn't think that the market was right. I I thought I I thought I might sort of struggle to get work in and our our first project was a, a massive project that hasn't actually been designed to this day in Libya. Libya's, I think it was tallest tower or something at the time. And and that project, I went out to see clients. So I just spent my first three weeks knocking on doors for clients, basically, of people I knew and, and, and going and really saying to them, what what can I do for you? What do you like about a fire consultant or a fire engineer? And, you know, what do you expect? And and they all said, they said something simple, really. They sort of said that you all do pretty much the same sort of magic. But what we want is service. We want you to turn up on time. We want you to answer your emails. We want you to be responsive. And um, I thought, bloody hell, it's really that simple, really, isn't it? Let's get on. There you go. That was the clue. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, so so one of the pivotal moments was 5am that morning and, and those early conversations were important. But what came next? What you know, Between then and now, what have been two or three pivotal moments for, for BB7 and you? Having been on the journey that I'd been on, I had a sense of I need to paint a picture of where we're going before we start. And that was a really important idea in my head at that at, at that time. But pivotal moments, um, yeah. So bringing that thought forward, I'm a funny bugger because I I, I uh, speak to think, and you can probably see me looking at the ceiling and <laughs> and kind of uh, I speak to think. Sorry, uh, and I engaged with management consultants when we were about 300k in revenues and really small. Uh, and I, I went to management consultants who kind of laughed at me a little bit and sort of said, look, you know, you're too small. You've only just started. You know, we mess around with much bigger firm. And I pushed and sort of said, look, no, yeah, but I'm really serious and we're going to do something special. So actually, can we talk? Uh, and, and they humoured me and they didn't charge me. They talked me through what I wanted to do, gave me some tips and pointers and I really appreciated their help along the way. So getting the right people around me, getting experts, not being able, not being afraid to take advice was one thing. I guess the other thing, my, my aunt was a former businesswoman of the year awarded by Princess Anne years ago. And so she would mentored me. So I had to, you know, give props to my aunt Barbara, who has, has been a bit of a star in my life uh, on the journey. So she, she's been really thing. But then at another point in time, a large... US firm showed some interest in acquiring us that was really interesting because we had some exploratory talks and I thought blimey I, I can do this that they just gave me the ideas of what we could do and and then being backed by BGF of course uh, receiving BGF back in was was absolutely a pivotal transformational moment do you know the the thing that I hear hear there is you were thinking big right from the get-go yeah 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 you know, almost unreasonably big. Yeah. Right from the get-go. Is, is is that part of you? Is that part of your your mindset? Yeah. I'm glass half full. Uh, I've got an optimism bias. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, definitely on occasions overly optimistic about what can be achieved. But, you know, you, you don't want a CEO that's pessimistic, do you? <laughs> No, and and I think it's so much more powerful sometimes, often, to think, how can we do 10 times rather than how can we do three times? Yeah. It, it produces a, a different quality of idea, doesn't it? And uh, it excites the team in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so BGF was important, and and we'll ask about, I'll ask about BGF in a moment because I, I have so much respect for them. They're, you know, they're patient... Uh, their patient capital is is so powerful uh, for the right companies at the right time. So we'll come back to to BGF. But looking forward, what are the pivotal moments that you anticipate? What's coming up? How do you see the future? 2024 is our 15th corporate anniversary. So, you know, we're, we're getting ready for that. I'm, I'm really hoping that that will be a big year. And then we're probably heading towards our next capital raising event, 
maybe 2026, maybe 25, maybe 26, but around that time. And and we've planned out to our 20th year, 2029 now. So we know know what our 15th year looks like. We know what our 20th year looks like. Whilst, whilst I've got the headlines to that strategy, we are currently in the process of putting meat on the bones and getting that finer detail sorted out. So, you know, from a from a vivid vision perspective, we can really turn that into actionable things that we're doing over the next five years. Okay, so Ben, I'm, I'm getting a sense that you have strategy in your mind, you have those pictures uh, and the approaches in your mind, but then you're also looking for those moments that can propel BB7 forward from the early meeting with the, the management consultants age three months with 300k turnover, something like that, to to BGF investing to the next capital of moments where, yeah, and that that acquisition inquiry that came from uh, across the Atlantic at that, you're describing moments where something kind of propelled BB7 more quickly and further along its path. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're transformational moments, aren't they? And um, yeah, okay. Sometimes they come with a bit of, you know, sometimes they wobble things a little bit. Sometimes they, you know, not everybody likes change, but um, equally, that they are moments that kind of change things, you know, often for the better. And uh, yeah, I, I like them. I, I like change. Generally, I embrace change. Uh, and and here's the optimist in you as as a as a wobble happens you're thinking how can this change us for the better and how can this how can this propel us forward accelerate us a bit yeah yeah a- a- absolutely and i don't mind risks actually i'd like to internationalize when the time is right but ultimately you know i also need to be you know focused and and, and only do it when the time is right but i, I will do it because i want to I want to learn by doing it and I want to enjoy the journey and get the fun of doing it. Okay, so th- this is in your mindset as well. What can I learn here? Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And what can my people learn? Really importantly, I kind of want them to grow. I mean, I like growing personally and professionally, but I want my management team to grow personally and professionally o- on the journey. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about how they will learn and grow as we you know go through the next few years or so it's such a nice quality to have in the culture of of the company and when those moments happen whether they are adversity or opportunity at first glance if we're asking if everybody is asking how can this help us how can this move us forward what can we learn here then everyone makes sense of that that moment in a you know in an appropriate way for for bb7 yeah absolutely Okay. What's your take on entrepreneurship? And yeah, and is this your first outing? Is BB7 your your first your first uh, business? Uh, no, BB7 is is not my first business. Entrepreneurship, it it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, I guess being an entrepreneur has has been really helpful to me in life and I've certainly enjoyed it and I wouldn't change it. But equally it's not optional and there's something driving me that actually uh, sometimes I wish I didn't have you know and I'm not necessarily sure I want my kids to have it if I'm honest I would like them to lead slightly more relaxed less stressful lives on, on occasion so I'm happy I've got it and I wouldn't change it but 
it's a blessing and a curse and I wouldn't want my kids to have it. Yeah, I hear you. Not not optional. I like I like that way of putting it. A bit of a compulsion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not always healthy, but I feel that I've got a ton of energy and I want to run harder, run faster and, you know, living your whole life that way uh, without breaks is <laughs> hard work. I hear you. I hear you. Let's talk about BGF then. So BGF backed... BB7, was it 2019? Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell me, how, how did you approach the, the the decision? Because, I mean, that, that's a big decision for, for any founder to involve a, a partner in such a meaningful way. And lots of founders, they hold back. Yeah, and they, and they go it alone. And I think that's one of the pivotal decisions either way that they make. So how did you approach this? I wrote a business plan and I reached out to one of my old chums that, that I studied my MBA with, um, Sam, who's a really clever lady. And um, I said, look, I want to write a business plan. You know, you and I work great together on my MBA. Would you help me? And uh, she said, yes. So we so we sketched out a business plan together and then I put a call in to BGF and they called back. And I paced around a car park one day as I was uh, I was out at meetings and I, and and I just parked. I remember and um, paced around a car park, having that first call, chatting over what I wanted to do. I, I actually wanted to bring three companies together at one time to to build a platform in the UK. Didn't quite manage to pull it off. We came together with just one of those companies, and yeah, and BGF backed us in 2019. They lent us six and a half million quid. They're great partners, actually. Minority investors, patient capital, there's 400 companies in the portfolio, 2.5 billion pound fund. I think they're the most active investors in Europe. And they backed me in 2019. They were really thorough, really thorough. You know, the due, due diligence process was painful. Uh, I think they kind of went through everything that we were doing with a fine tooth comb, obviously, to lend us, you know, that that kind of money. Yeah, so they probably know how many cocoa pops I had for breakfast on a Wednesday in 1989. Is how far they are. But they're great partners. They've they've really been adding value. They backed me in 2019. We're now in 2023, and and I really like them. You know. They're good, they're ethical, they let me get on and run the business. It's a CEO-led business. Yeah, BGF have been great partners. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that I, I, I jumped on board with them. Yeah, and BB7 is the, the third BGF portfolio company I, I've I've had some involvement in. The other two, they, they, they say similar. I've got huge respect for, uh, for BGF. So what would you say to a founder, a CEO out there who's considering seeking investment of that type and they're torn do i do this and you know and and go faster but accepts all of the pressure uh, and the requirements it places on the the business and that extra rigor or do i keep my life uh, a bit more simple and just carry on growing organically what would you what would you say to to somebody with that dilemma I think certainly in my world, you know, professional services firms, any company that sells talk for time, expertise, I think there are only two choices, really. Either you're remaining small and remaining really profitable, but 
recognizing that you've got to turn some people away and you might not have all of the capabilities that your clients need and therefore you know they might have to go in another direction at some point or 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 you're going large uh, and really going for it there's there, i don't think there's a there's an in between with it you're yeah you're, you're going small or you're going large uh, go large or go home i think is what they say isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i like that uh th- thank you for that so I remember when we first met. It was shortly after uh, after BGF, and Ben, you made a you made an impression on me. I remember uh, your energy, your sense of team, the sense of the people in in BB Seven. Although I was just meeting you and two of your people at the time, I got a real sense of of the organisation and and its values, a sense of mission that BB Seven is part of something bigger. You were talking about creating safe places for for people and businesses and communities to to thrive and it was easy to think that ben bradford this is a a confident guy always on your front foot ben but are you because most ceos i know at some point they say to me they admit they've got an, an imposter syndrome going on so do you too <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh of course uh, you know i've got a shit ton of really bright people uh really smart people i'm surrounded by people with brains the size of bournemouth and you know great engineers you know so uh, i have days when i can present to a thousand people and smash it out of the park and i've got days when i need to communicate confidently to 20 people uh, and I'm kind of struggling uh, a bit. So I, I came from humble beginnings. I grew up in not the greatest part of town on a on a council estate with a squat opposite and a and a traveller site at the end of my garden. And the area had its challenges, uh, you know, I would say. And I pretty much sort of failed my GCSEs. My mum had to pay £15 to enter me for my GCSEs, which I think she would get back if I passed. And you know, I, I did pass. I got some, got a smattering of E's and F's, and <laughs> yeah. I think I technically passed. So she she did get a fifteen pound back. But coming from that community, I had to, you know, I definitely had to fit in, you know, to survive really, to avoid becoming a, a bit of a, a a victim, I guess. And I think my mother would say my teenage years were colourful. And I'm an entrepreneur. You know, a, a lot of en- entrepreneurs are driven by something, aren't they? And uh, it's a bit like comedians, isn't it? So absolutely, do, do I have imposter syndrome? Yeah, all, all, all the time in, in, in all different circumstances. And, and I have days when I'm really confident. And, and my own people know in, within the business because I have to communicate a lot or as much as I possibly can. And I, I do a, a kind of board debrief to the whole company every month after the main board debrief meeting and and some of those calls I'm you know oozing confidence and some of those calls I'm, I'm not on form and and I I just yeah. have to be honest and say I'm, I'm a bit off today aren't I I'm not not <laughs> not my usual boy and self I, I I hear you and yeah and so the imposter syndrome it plays two roles doesn't it uh, sometimes it propels us forward other times it's it's in the way 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said to a few people before coming on this show this morning, first time I've done a podcast, actually. You know, I've done lots of things. I've done video. I've, uh, you know, done done lots of conferences and, and, and that kind of stuff. But I said to my people this morning, first time I've done a podcast, a new thing. Should I Google what I meant? <laughs> what, what are the top tips for podcasting? So, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea that this was a world first for the for the Gritty Leader <laughs> podcast. I'm so pleased. I'm pleased your mum got her her £15 uh, back as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, so back back to business. From zero to, to 13 million of turnover right now, passing through that number with a, uh, a decent pace, I sense this is good going. So how do you think about growth? How did BB7 do that, uh, grow that is? And are there particular capabilities or, or qualities that enable scaling growth? I've always looked at growth as being about building something. And so I've always always wanted to build something, you know, make a great company or build something great first and foremost. My appetite for growth is ferocious, but it isn't so much about money. It is I want to build a great firm. I want I want I want people to look at what I've built and and say, Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a pretty cool firm. That that you know, that does that, that you know that does something good that did something good and and I want the people in the firm to really enjoy the journey and and to to kind of benefit from the journey you know in the widest sense okay i I, I like that um I, I remember when I was back in my managing director role I often found myself thinking how can we sell more and it was quite a limiting thoughts actually so I learned to think different about it but I I like what you're saying here um how can we be bigger how can we create something greater how can we be excited about that and what do we need to do to make those things happen yeah you've got to keep learning I don't like it if I'm not learning I like to be learning all the time and yeah but sort of having some sort of challenge you know a buzz to get to get up for got you tell me about the team you've mentioned team a couple of times what type of team do you need to do what you've done? How should a, a scale-up founder or, or chief exec, how should they think about their team? I'm really blessed, actually, by having a lot of great people around me, clever people, friends. And um, I think the childhood that I had taught me really vital lessons about trust and respect and really simple words but you know when when they're missing in a team then they're really missing you know that's the one you know when I interview people that for that are thinking about leaving a an, another firm that want to leave it, it's usually because I don't know there isn't a career progression or they don't feel valued or there isn't the trust or the freedom or the respect or the autonomy and you know good people manage themselves you know I I don't want to manage anyone really uh, I don't like managing people but if I've got enough good people around me they manage themselves freedom within the framework I think is is, is what our COO talks about and uh, I think if you've got a whole host of great people you, that you can trust and respect and that trust and respect is mutual and that only comes through earning it you can't demand it you have to earn trust and that's about matching your actions to your words that's what you need in a team i think to to make a great business 
Okay, so 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 this is the fabric of 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 the team, and that and then what happens? Because how many people have you got now, Ben? I think we're edging towards one hundred and eighty. Yeah, cracking number. So, what what then happens? Does it become one one hundred and eighty person team? Is it a team of teams? Is it a team at the top? Yeah, how do we think about that? Yeah, the aim of the game is is one team, one BB seven. That's the holy grail of of where where we need to get to. I think there will always be teams within teams, but hopefully we've got a shared vision, values, culture. As best we can get it, we we need a culture that's very similar. You might, you know, different offices around uh, the UK and Ireland, difficult to get the culture 100% bang on because, you know, each team will have a different leader and, you know, the the line managers have to be... uh, hopefully an extension of me, you know, if I can get it right throughout the company. So, yeah, those sorts of qualities are, I think, what we what we need in a team environment. Yeah, okay, so one team over to, overall, those qualities, and then teams within the team, and if we've picked our people carefully and if we've got those qualities in place and everybody understands that and loves that, then those individual teams... Uh, they can be exactly that. They can be an individual team that adds. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And look, we won't won't always get it right. You know, definitely make mistakes. I'll I'll keep making mistakes. You know, my optimism bias encourages me to me for me to make mistakes. Uh, for sure, you know, got got to fail because I, you know, I I, I think everybody's going to be amazing. That's my starting point. Okay. But we're not trying hard enough if we make no mistakes, are we? No, exactly. Okay. Well, let me ask you something else about team because uh, you know me our first conversation ever was on the topic of team I'm all about the team topic hence calling my business leader and team we've got a mission and people sometimes pick me up on it Um, leader and team's mission is to inspire enable improve management teams and leaders to become the best in the world at what they do so that they multiply their their impact on people profit and planet and people pick me up on the best in the world bit. What's your take on this? Um, you know, medium-sized business, can that team credibly think about being the best in the world at what it does? Yeah, absolutely they can. Yeah, I think so. When I think about our business, we're a niche business. You know, can we be the world's leading fire and facade consulting firm? Can we be that? And, and and if we're that, because these are niche niche engineering disciplines that are core business, we're never going to be, I don't know, ICI or Apple because, you know, it's a small niche in the construction <laughs> property market. But we can still be the world's leading. Whether we're the largest or not, you know, it's not about size, it's about leading. And I, I guess my agenda is as we get bigger, we stay beautiful, get big, but stay beautiful. That's that's what I would like to achieve. Thank you, because I totally agree. I think it's so productive to think about if we were number one, the number one team in the world of our type, what would that mean? It's always a great conversation for for a team. And I know that you back that with, with exactly that ambition in BB7. We touched upon something else there, which is my company's mission talks about impact uh, and that's partly because we're on a b corp certification journey i think bb7 
is also. Yeah. BB7 was founded on Seven Values. That's why it's called BB7. That's, that's uh, how it was founded. So we were talking about ultimately being very people-focused, aspiring to be an outstanding employer. I wanted us to be a firm that treated our people better than any of our competitors. That was a sort of uh, early aspiration. And then when we kind of fast forward a little bit now to, I guess, 14 years on, lots of companies are talking about values and valuing people and and all all of those conversations that are topical now. And, And so as ESG has come on the scene, I kind of think, you know, this is really just an extension of the principles that we were founded on in the first place. Uh, and so now we've, you know, we've we've got a bit more structure and, and we've got a lot more guidance on how to create the biggest impact that we can and be a force for good and and and, and all of that good stuff. So, so, yeah, we have applied to become a B Corp and our, our investors uh, have also applied to become a B Corp themselves there's a lot of support and encouragement from bgf along this journey bgf has also got the bgf foundation and as we've matured over the years in terms of what we're doing for charity and what we're giving and our kind of communication strategy with you know academic institutions and our wider stakeholder engagement strategies and all of that good stuff yeah bgf have been really supportive along the journey and We've been working closely with their heads of ESG, uh, Roshni, and increasingly we are working more closely with BGF Foundation, which is a fantastic initiative. We'll make an incredible impact because, uh, uh, you know, 400 companies within the portfolio, if we do get to a to a stage where investment agreements, CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs that sign up to investment agreements with organizations like bgf and then commit to giving perhaps a percentage of you know transaction values to esg commitments that could be fantastic for the planet and for future generations it's so important isn't it and i already knew that uh, impact was central to to bb7 i was curious about the investor perspective on it i didn't know that bgf is also on a b corp journey so i need to catch up with them on that maybe maybe that's our next guest but do you think the needle has tip that from a investment perspective now investors are really beginning to understand and value the impact incentive in in a business yeah absolutely i was with another pe house last week and they they are already a b corp a lot of investors have now got impact funds i think everybody's thinking about it now and on the journey and for us you know we we've got a I set up a neurodiversity task force because that's a a a topic that's kind of close to my heart and I set up a a Jedi task force which is justice equity diversity and inclusion Jedi love it (laughs) yeah um uh BGF have, have been really helpful with us on that journey as well as we've kind of shared our experiences and our pains and our lessons learned because you know we as we tackle these very difficult subjects we're going to make mistakes and we're going to come across and not everybody is in the same place on that journey and so you've kind of 
that, that's the thing. So kind of going back to our team's conversation a minute ago, I never wanted a team of David Beckham's because a team of David Beckham's isn't going to win the World Cup. You've got to work with a team that you've got. And, and I think a dream team isn't, you know, a team of Ronaldo's. I think it is. It's a mixture of characters all playing to their strengths. This is partly why we invested in the um, insights process, insights platform. We're delivering that internally now, and it's been immensely valuable to understand the range of characters that we've got in in an engineering consultancy where, you know, at least 10%, could be 15%, maybe neurodiverse, for example. And it makes them brilliant. And it makes them brilliant. And, and how, how, how do we make that a competitive advantage? How do we leverage that? specialist thinking you know so so our neurodiversity task force is you know is, is is also the specialist thinking group because you know i can bounce strategic ideas off this group of people and see what they think and 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 that's really useful to to challenge strategy you know what what do you think about this and uh get that range of opinions back is is really important yeah okay so so now now this sounds like a really essential topic and it's part of our our competitive advantage and Jedi is just such a great name for it. Uh, it it's fun. It's a good uh, acronym, but the potential, the power of a Jedi and, and them as a force for for good uh, and incredible change. It, it's perfect. Uh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get it. Yeah, it works, doesn't it? <laughs> ben, a few quick fire questions and then one final closing question, but. Should we dive into some quick fire? Yeah, sure, sure. I'm not I'm not sure I'm that quick thinking. <laughs> well, let's find out. Let's find... <laughs> so Ben, tell me, uh one current day company or company leader who inspires you? I quite admire management consultants, OCNC, strategy consultants. I kind of look at them. I haven't worked with them, but you know, I kind of watch them a bit. In in my space, Hock and Som, H O K and Som, mm-hmm. they're pretty cool firms. I, I I like to look at them. What's cool about them? I think the projects they work on, some of the things they've structured, you know, the things that they're doing, the the impact that they're making. They're some firms that I definitely admire. Okay. Next question: uh, Work or play? work okay <laughs> back to what you were saying earlier ben what's your what's your biggest flaw or most redeeming quality and you can choose which one you give me i think my openness is both of those it is both my redeeming quality but it is also one of my biggest flaw as well you know i'm really open uh, I, I don't don't have much by way of a filter that's great because everyone knows where they stand and that can inspire trust. But equally, you know, what, what goes on in my head often comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, actually, how I hadn't thought about this, but the flaw and the redeeming quality could be the same thing. And for me, uh, I think one of my appreciated qualities was that I would back people. But my flaw was that sometimes I would uh, back the wrong person for, for too long. So there you go. Yeah, and that's probably me too. Actually, I'm okay. absolutely really, really trusting and overly optimistic about things, and so I certainly am a master of second chances uh, for, for people. I certainly yeah, have hope that everyone will succeed. I, I hear you, Ben. If you can have a dinner party with any three people in the world, who's going to be on your invite list? I think Vic Reeves and Nancy and Jules Holland would be pretty cool, <laughs> but I, I really like Barack and Michelle. Uh, Obama 
and uh, I think Mike Tyson would be pretty cool as well. I'd love to meet Mike Tyson. Yeah, so I've, I've cheated <laughs> and, <laughs> and kind of named uh, a few people. But, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a dinner party with those. So what dish will you serve and, and who's going to cook? Thank you. Cause I've got to got to give props to my wife because she's a chef, of course, and she's got a got a debut cookbook coming out, and she's got her own business, uh, Schwen Schwen. So I've, I've, uh, yeah, I guess I've managed to drop that in there for her. <laughs> and what would I cook? My favourite dish is a Sierra Leonean dish called Shakpa and Fufu. Yeah, that's probably black belt Sierra Leonean food. So I'm not sure whether Barack <laughs> and Michelle Obama would eat shakpat and fufu oh they probably would actually yeah maybe they 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 they, they, they would be drawn for that vic reeves and nancy it might be a surprise uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I think if they listen to this they're they're, they're going to be showing up on friday evening each of them um it's in my wife's cookbook i have to say so <laughs> the recipe will be out out 13th well, of july uh, available on Amazon. <laughs> so there'll be a pre-order link already. So send that to me, and I'll put that uh, in the, in the footnotes. Let's uh, let's drive a few a few sales. Um, one bit of business advice that you keep coming back to, Ben. Happiness is a personal choice. So in business and in our personal lives, we're often striving for happiness and aiming for bigger and better and all the rest of it. And it's a nonsense because actually. Happiness is a choice, and regardless of our situation, uh, we can choose to be happy if we want to. And that's a really uncomfortable thing to say to, to people, and a lot of people resent someone saying that, especially if, you know, it's all right for you, Jack, you're in a happy place. But it is, it's a state of mind, and, and, and I think it's essential for business. You know, I think this is why businesses have chief happiness officers, because, you know, people being happy is important. <laughs> really important you know to be great leaders to be great employees to be great engineers you know happiness is important what do you wish you learned sooner yeah there's i mean there's too much to mention there's so much that i wish i'd learned so because most of the really good stuff is simple Mm -hmm. simple knowledge that when someone tells you you kind of go oh crikey yeah of course of course of course you know, why didn't I think of that sooner? How have I missed that for so many years? How yeah. have I missed that? I've, I've, since um, since getting back to buy BGF, since becoming, I'm sort of feeling like a proper CEO. You know, you know, there was certainly a um, a feeling when I first embraced that title of, hang on a minute, and I, and I don't think you know I, I am in the camp of you shouldn't call yourself a CEO unless the company is bigger than you are. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't think it's right to, uh, to to call yourself a CEO when you when you're five people or ten or twenty. Agreed. <laughs> and, uh, and and I certainly felt uncomfortable with the title, but now I've been on this journey and I've been going to lots of CEO dinners and chairman dinners, and you know, I went to one last night actually. Thank you. PwC and uh, LDC. That was uh, mm-hmm. that was fun, uh, and uh, I've been going to the Pep Talks ones as well. I had to give them a shout. These events that I've been going to and sitting in a room of people who have had great experiences has been really inspirational and really useful. Um, actually, because people say the most simple things that you realise, crikey, I should have. I wish I knew that sooner, ten years ago, five years ago. 
yeah. I love the idea of living life backwards. Yeah. Sorry, these are meant to be quick fire questions, aren't they? And they bug with me. <laughs> well, there's four, there's four more left, so let, let's see. Uh, let's see if we can pick up the pace. Can you have too much ambition? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for a follow up. Uh, your top well-being hack for a busy founder, managing director, or CEO. Yeah, um, walk the dog, smell the roses. If you haven't got a dog, just walk. <laughs> okay. Take some time to yourself is, is uh, I guess, what I'm saying. Do, do something else. Give yourself space to think. Mm-hmm. That's really important because if, if you're so busy that you've got no space to think, yeah, the more space to think I've got, the more creative I can be. Mm-hmm. So it is important to push work down, you know, work um, on the business, not in the business, and all, all of that advice is out there. What does gritty mean to you? Resilient. Resilient, okay. And who is your go-to gritty leader and, and why then? In the moment now, Zelensky. Oh, wow, yeah. That guy's incredible because well, I, I want to read his book. He's got to write a book. When this war is done, uh, I don't know if he's written a book or, or, already, but it, I, you know, I want to, I want to read the, the last book because that man is a former comedian, an actor, turned wartime leader, tackling corruption at the same time as fighting a war because he's actually making headway mm-hmm. on on corruption in country at the same time as as fighting a a war and okay you know the war has galvanized the people behind him in 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 a new way and, and so you ukraine in many ways is probably more united than it ever was and and they're going to get into the eu and nato and that man's got to have an amazing story to tell when the time comes to tell it, when when he can catch his breath. So, you know, hope, hopefully I get to read his, his last book. He can come to your, your dinner party as well. He could. He could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's quickfire done with. I've got one remaining question to ask you, Ben, and it's one of my favourite questions. Uh, the question is what's possible? And often I... I ask this at the you know at the beginning of things when a uh, a company is starting out or they're entering into a a new period and want to explore ten times thinking rather than three times thinking. But it's a great question when a uh, a company or a leader is already well along their path. So I'm going to ask it to you now, Ben. Uh, and you might have given us a hint already. What's possible? What's possible for BB Seven and you? I guess it's possible that a kid that failed his GCSEs from a council estate in Kent could, <laughs> could, <laughs> could lead a business of 400 people strong that adds value to people personally and professionally. And I'm kind of hoping that the value that is added adds something positive, you know, everyone who kind of comes to work and shows up to work and learns on their career journey, they end up influencing their kids and having an impact on, you know, whether it's their kids, their families, their connections, their, their colleagues. And, you know, they say ripples become waves, don't they? But if, if in some small way, what someone does in their day-to-day work life, hopefully with this idea of growing personally and professionally as a much, much bigger impact positively on lots and lots of other people I kind of think if I could get this business to 400 people strong or 500 people strong and that impact would be much bigger on the journey is kind of 
Yeah, adding value that's grossly disproportionate to our size might be the thing. I love that, and I and I also love that the the assumed bit is that we will become the number one fire and facade business in the world. That didn't even need to be said. No, no, <laughs> it, it, exactly. And if and if nothing else, we we inspire some of our competitors to follow us or to adopt some of this culture into their businesses and 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 in turn you know that they'll make they'll make an impact as well hopefully that's not too bold it's not too bold ben thank you so much uh, i can't wait to to have you back when you're 400 people i'm sure it's not going to be too too long thank you for sharing the story with us uh, so much to learn in here i'm going to be listening back to this a couple of times i think thank you ben yeah pleasure to be here thank you